0: Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive.
1: This episode of Essential Conversations is supported by Rob Bell and his profound and deeply personal new audiobook, Everything is Spiritual. Join Bell as he explores powerful insights into understanding your true purpose and place in the world. Order your copy wherever audiobooks are sold. From Spirituality and Health magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Lama Rod Owens, is a Buddhist minister, author, activist, yoga instructor, and authorized Lama or Buddhist teacher. He holds a Master of Divinity degree in Buddhist studies from Harvard Divinity School and is a co-author of Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love, and Liberation. His new book is Love and Rage, The Path of Liberation Through Anger. Lama Rod Owens, welcome to Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you so much. It's so great to be on.
1: Well, it's an honor to have you on. The book was really interesting. And the the intro that I just read is a standard intro. What it mm-hmm. doesn't mention, but what your book makes clear, is that you are also black, queer, and mm-hmm. pissed off. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming, and you can challenge this as a Buddhist if you like, but I'm assuming being black and queer are some somehow karmic givens. But I'm really curious—is why you're pissed off.
2: Well, being pissed off is also a karma given, as well. <laughs> Everything is karma. Okay. And in terms of being pissed off, I think everyone's pissed off, actually, to an extent. Um, I think that you know, part of kind of this Buddhist idea and Buddhist um, belief systems is that we're born into this thing called samsara. So samsara means this cyclical existence, right? This this world. Um, and the conditions of a world that we're born into that are not necessarily of our own making. Um, so we're born essentially into this reality that is actually driven by delusion and ignorance. You know, And so the, the goal of, of Dharma practice is to achieve awakening. Awakening is achieved through the cultivation of compassion or what I call ethical care and wisdom or what I call clarity. So through care and clarity, we develop this way of beginning to see into the nature of all of this. And then we begin to disrupt samsara and we begin to awaken to our truest natures. However, as we're doing this work, we're we're hitting against a lot of stuff that's just really uncomfortable, you know, and the ways that we struggle with all this discomfort really gives rise to this tension that we call anger. And, and being pissed off, you know, and for me, being pissed off is an expression of something that's deeper, which is my utter disappointment of having to struggle like this to be happy and to be well.
1: You know, when I looked at the title of the book, and I could be misreading this entirely, mm-hmm. but the, the, mm-hmm. the, I guess the subtitle, The Path of Liberation mm-hmm. Through Anger, my mm-hmm. first thought was, oh, you're going to help me. Move through my anger and get rid of my anger, mm-hmm. but that's not mm-hmm. how I understand it mm-hmm. now. Having read the book, mm-hmm. now it's the path mm-hmm. of liberation through using anger. Mm-hmm. And and there's in Judaism, mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. similar called redemption through sin. Mm-hmm. You you use the sin as the vehicle for redemption. Maybe here you're yeah. using the anger as a vehicle yeah. for liberation, and you you really yeah. go into this beautifully in a way that. Mm-hmm. I found, anyway, an incredibly. Oh, I don't know. Liberating may is the wrong word, but but I was just so impressed. Maybe because I agreed, but besides that, I was so impressed. So, so I'm just going to read a bit from the book. You you write about images of black people being assaulted by white bystanders and cops, and mm-hmm. and the the and you reject the idea of using your body to receive physical violence as a strategy of nonviolent resistance. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. want to keep, if I am got the book right, you want to keep mm-hmm. violence as an option and ask the mm-hmm. question whether or not violence can be done out of a place of love.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, that yeah. is so powerful. So t- tell us more about
2: doing violence out of a place of love. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that that came out of a lot of deep wrestling with my own relationship to what nonviolence is. And I think that we oversimplify the notion and practice and philosophy of nonviolence. Uh, and of course, I was responding to the nonviolent philosophy of Dr. King, which was the heart of the Civil Rights Movement. And I, you know, have heard over and over again for many years that oh Dr. King, you know, was this this expert, this master in nonviolence. And when I studied the movement closely, I was like, this movement is very violent. The 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 practice of nonviolence in the movement was actually becoming a recipient of violence. And so that for me is really uncomfortable. You know, and so a lot of this is a personal reaction to something you know, that I don't feel as if I have the capability to engage in. And so what I am wanting to do in my work is complicate this notion of nonviolence to say that sometimes violence is necessary to disrupt violence. And I think and I bring into this this consideration the relationship of a parent to a child, right? And I ask parents, you know, I don't have a child, but I ask parents, you know, who are friends of mine that, You know, what would you do if someone came along and tried to hurt your child? Would you just stand there and pray for them? Or do you step in to disrupt the violence that's happening to your most beloved being? You know, and so I want people to to consider that violence is something that we all engage in at some point in our lives and we have to bring some awareness around it to actually get into the root of why we practice violence. And I want to, you know, think about intention. What is my intention, right? Is my intention to hurt someone who's hurting someone that I love, or is my intention to disrupt the violence and to make sure not only the victim is safe, but also the perpetrator is safe from harm in that moment.
1: Yeah. It's complicating it is, and and doing so in such a beautiful way. It's, it's one of the, the biggest gifts of the book, I think. I mean, I, I'm I'm being facetious, but I thought you ought to, you know, love and rage: the path of liberation through anger by Lama X. You know,
2: <laughs> I love I, that. I thought, actually, I, yeah. I thought, yeah, this is this is a Malcolm
1: book. This is a Malcolm book. Well,
2: well, that's, that's um, I am deeply influenced by the Black Power movement. Yeah, you know, and that anyone who reads that will will feel that instantly. You know. I am influenced by, you know, um, the Black Panther movement and Black radical traditions and Black prophetic traditions. And so that comes out in the book really strongly. You know, I think that's why this is so uncomfortable for really diehard professional Buddhists, because the way in which I center the Black traditions that I grew up in.
1: Yeah, right. I think it's a real, it's a challenge for the reader if they have some Oh, I, I was going to say superficial, but that's judgmental. But if they have a little knowledge of Buddhism and they think of, you know, the Buddhist, everything's calm and peace or whatever, it, it right. challenges that. but it does challenge the way you put it, the professional Buddhist. Let's take a moment to thank today's sponsor, Rob Bell. Rob has released a profound and deeply personal new audio book. Everything is spiritual. Join Rob as he explores powerful insights into understanding your true purpose and place in the world. Order your copy wherever audiobooks are sold. I'm going to read a little bit uh, from the book. You write, My identity as being Black means that I am always on the side of those of us who are targeted by systemic violence, including but not limited to racism, queerphobia, transphobia, misogyny, ableism, and ageism. Translating into a a personal slogan of mine, which is that if you are marginalized, you are Black. Mm -hmm. So my question is, how does your identity as being Black impact your identity Mm -hmm. as being Buddhist, especially when mainstream Buddhism, not the Buddhism of progressive Americans, uh, Mm -hmm. but the Buddhism of Buddhist countries, which are often queerphobic, transphobic, misogynist, Mm -hmm. where's the mismatch? How do you deal with the 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 cognitive dissonance between your Buddhism, your life, and then Buddhist countries?
2: Well, first, I would say that for me, I'm a I'm a Dharma practitioner. That means I study the inherent truth and wisdom of the Buddhist tradition. That is a little different than the cultural Mm -hmm. practices of Buddhism that we find in the mother countries of Buddhism in Asia, East Asia and South Asia and so forth. And so I'm more interested in this basic wisdom expression, which we call Buddha Dharma. You know, so Buddha Dharma means the direct teachings of the Buddha, and within those teachings, I really plant my practice and express my practice from there. Um, and so when I talk about blackness and think about blackness, I I can take the wisdom of those teachings and begin to integrate them with my um, within my identities. You know, within my intersectionality. Which includes blackness and and queerness and radical progressive ideology and so forth. And so, when I think about how Buddhism is expressed within a cultural perspective and framework within other countries, that's something that you know I try not to judge as a Westerner and as a convert into the the particular spirituality of those countries.
1: Look, let me ask you about this: the notion of conversion.
2: Because Mm -hmm. you
1: can, I mean, you said a moment ago, you're practicing the Dharma. My sense is you don't convert to the Dharma. You can convert Mm -hmm. to a form of the Dharma. So in your case, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Tibetan, one kind of Tibetan Buddhism or another. So why Mm -hmm. did you feel the need to actually become, this is silly, but a brand name Buddhist, as opposed to uh, simply a, a follower of the
2: Dharma? Well, I think for me, it was about really committing to something that felt formal, and that formality feels like something that holds me accountable. You know I know many people who are very casual informal and formal Buddhists. I have friends who are just like, yeah, you know, I'm Buddhist, but they're not held accountable by anything. They're not held accountable by practice or by ethics or by morality or by a particular worldview. That really guides and centers their life and so when i just when i took on the brand of buddhist i took on this ethical moral structure that i needed to really bring a sense of meaning direction and wisdom to my life
1: so when when you take on this ethical moral structure and then you see how it's violated in like you said the mother countries you know you said you try not to judge but you know i I look at at israel for example
0: Mm-hmm. And there are
1: so many cases where I believe that that Israel, as a state, has violated the ethical, moral principles of Judaism mm-hmm. as a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And I judge mm-hmm. it very harshly.
2: How do you avoid the judgment? Well, well, in my case, I'll take the example of Myanmar, for instance, you know, and the ethnic cleansing that's been happening for years, you know, with... Uh, um, the Muslim communities in the country. And that is obviously wrong, you know. And so when I see that level of violence, which is just genocide, I say that's absolutely wrong. That is an expression of violence that isn't about disrupting violence, but is actually about an expression of hate, you know, and a lack of empathy and a lack of compassion. So I can judge that as wrong.
0: Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly,
1: Buddhists like yourself, meaning Mm -hmm. people who converted to Tibetan Buddhism, a vehicle for you to, Mm -hmm. to challenge what goes on in in Buddhist countries, or is it just as you're an individual making, you know, Mm -hmm. comments, is is there any formal way to say, no, this is, this is wrong? I mean, I, I don't, maybe I'm ignorant. Well, I am ignorant, (laughs) but maybe I've just not noticed. Does the Dalai Lama ever come out against the way Buddhism is practiced in in other places where it seems to violate the ethical and moral standards of, of buddhism
2: absolutely he's come out in the past and obviously really strongly condemned the practices of violence in certain countries and even here as well and as a tradition in general particularly as it's practiced in the west we're not a justice oriented tradition necessarily but there are uh um communities and and organizations and pods of justice-centered dharma that have arisen over the past you know decade and two decades or so um and one of the examples of that is the buddhist peace fellowship you know which is an organization and a network of communities that are dedicated to bringing together justice and the practice of dharma you know and that's incredibly important and there have been, you know, really well-known teachers in the tradition here in the West that have been really advocating justice for decades now. And so we are beginning to develop channels and ways and methods of calling for justice, not just here but also abroad in other countries.
1: The the teachings evolve, yes, right uh, with, with the times. I, w- I want to uh, change uh, direction a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about a chapter that you call. Uh, hashtag me too and the guru. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was really interesting. My my sense is that the guru system, a system in which sort of all power and moral standards rests on or in one man. And I don't mean person. I mean, man, it's usually a man. I, I think the system is broken. I honor and respect teachers, but gurus right. scare me. What, what's your take on the guru?
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've done a lot of work around the guru tradition, and Buddhism. And, you know, one thing that we have to consider is that American culture and Western culture in general, we don't have a culture that really understands and holds, um, the tradition of a guru. You know, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the guru and there's a misunderstanding of it because we haven't evolved spiritually enough as a culture to actually meet this tradition of a guru, the reality of a guru with agency. There's a lot of problems with how the guru tradition is being transplanted here um, in the West. I will say though, I am a critic of the guru system. I'm also um, a proponent at the same time, because for me, a guru is an individual who has achieved a certain level of realization on the path and who can actually show us how to travel the path towards deeper realization. But when we get into traditions of of Tantric practice, both in Hindu tantra and Buddhist Tantra, the, the Guru becomes like this awakened being. And we are called to be in this deep, trusting, loving relationship with this being. And if this being cannot hold our trust and love, which we call devotion, then there, of course, there's violence and harm that arises from that. And so there is fundamental risk that we're taking um, in the guru-student relationship. And I have seen that violence, that disruption of close and personal in the relationship to my own guru. And I've also experienced what it means to repair and to forgive and to deepen because of the disruption.
1: Mm. You know, the equivalent, I guess, and I don't know if it's a one-to-one equivalency, but in, in Judaism. The equivalent, I, I'm going to say, uh, to the guru is the Rebbe. And mm-hmm. I, I have a Rebbe, he's deceased, but, but I have a Rebbe, Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi. Mm-hmm. And decades ago, I was in his apartment in Philadelphia, and we were just talking, and there was a knock on the door. And there was just a young student from a uh, temple. He was teaching at a temple, and, and the student said, I really need to talk to the Rebbe. And Reb Zalman, you know, had opened the door, let the kid in. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, look, uh, the Rebbe isn't here at the moment. I'm going out with Rami for pizza for lunch. But if you come back at three o'clock, I'll be back and I'll make sure the Rebbe is here. <laughs> like he recognized that it's a state of mind that he wasn't in 24-7, yes. that he has to exactly. prepare himself so he's not, you know, projecting his ego and his onto the, the relationship. So I, that kind of guru I can, I can accept, but um, there's so much damage done, as you say, yes. uh, with people who come unprepared, I think, for the, yeah. the Western or the American lifestyle, and they're suddenly thrown yeah. into it from a, yeah. a culture that didn't prepare them for, yeah. I don't know, the unstructure or the intimacy yeah. of, of America, which is so not really intimate, but still, you get, yeah. you get the idea. So yeah. let, let me ask you something else because you and i share this fascination with the apocalypse mm-hmm. and for me the apocalypse is what what the word means a great revealing of truth and the price we have to pay for that revelation in my mind is the collapse of all falsehood and again for me falsehood means every concept every ism ideology capitalism socialism judaism buddhism all you know all of that stuff all of that has got to fall away. I think we're seeing the falling away of so much of this stuff, in order for the truth to to you know shine through or arise or, or whatever you want to say. T- tell us about your take on apocalypse.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, my take on the apocalypse comes really directly out of Christianity and Judaism. You know, meaning that this is a time of revelation, a time of truth. You know, and the ways in which we're being shown the truth and being asked to to change, you know, actually. And I love the way that in which you frame it, you know, these falsehoods are falling away. you know, and the struggle that we're engaged in is that we have self-identified with these falsehoods or what I like to call systems. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're so deeply self identified. And so when these systems begin to crumble, it feels as if we're dying with, Mm -hmm. you know, this disruption. And what we're being called to do is turn our attention back to touching into a deeper, truer, most authentic expression of who we are outside of the systems that have conditioned us for millennia.
1: Right. I absolutely agree. I think that's the work of the moment. And all the madness around us is reflective of the collapse. And what few of us are prepared to do is to let the collapse happen in order to get in touch with that truer self. We don't know what the self is. We only know the defined, exactly. the self that's been defined by these systems that are collapsing. So it's very frightening. And I guess that's why it can be so violent in, in a purely negative sense.
2: Yeah, and, the, yeah, and the violence coming from a reactivity to something that feels really uncomfortable. Yeah.
1: Yeah, let let me ask you one last question. I know that we're actually over the time limit, but uh, I, I think I think you're maximizing the the wisdom here in every minute I, I've got. So I'm going to just take a couple more. The Love and Rage, the the book Love and Rage comes out of uh, your understanding of radical dharma. So I thought it'd be a great place to end the conversation by asking you to unpack the idea of radical dharma.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Radical Dharma is a tradition that um, came out of my collaboration with my close friends and colleagues, Reverend Angel Kyodo Williams and Dr. Yasmin Saidula. And this, this tradition really emerged out of our friendship, out of our dialogue, particularly at the really beginning of Black Lives Matter, the Movement for Black Lives in 2014. And so really the heart of Radical Dharma is simply that, There can be no ultimate liberation without social liberation and both and that both ultimate and social liberation must be happening together in order for us to achieve awakening on multiple levels at once.
1: Yeah, there's like two kinds of enlightenment. One is classic enlightenment of the East, you know, Buddhist kind of enlightenment. And the other is the Western enlightenment that brings you uh, women's liberation and, and ultimately, I guess, Black Lives Matter and that, you know, that the those ideals. We need we need both of those. I I tell you, Lama Rod, both books, because I've read them both, but especially your new one, Love and Rage. These are powerful reads, and I hope they reach a lot of people. Our guest today, Lama Rod Owens, is the author of Love and Rage, The Path of Liberation Through Anger. You can learn more about his work at his website, LamaRod.com. Lama Rod, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations.
2: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.
1: Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings, and on my new podcast, Conversations on the Egg. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Trupiano, and our executive producer is Catherine Drury Wagner. This episode of Essential Conversations is supported by Rob Bell and his profound and deeply personal new audiobook, Everything is Spiritual. Join Bell as he explores powerful insights into understanding your true purpose and place in the world. Order your copy wherever audiobooks are sold. I'm Rabbi Rami.